Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys, this episode of Other People is brought to you by the Litbreaker Ad Network. Litbreaker helps book publishers, authors, and premium brands reach an engaged audience of authors, artists, editors, agents, producers, bloggers, media professionals, and readers. Lots of readers. Litbreaker ads appear on The Rumpus, Large Hearted Boy, HTML Giant, Full Stop, The Nervous Breakdown, Plowshares, and other high quality magazines and blogs featuring literary, arts-oriented, and pop culture content and above-the-fold advertising. Visit litbreaker.com for more information about advertising packages. Litbreaker is also accepting new partner sites in literary, general interest, mystery, creative writing, young adult, romance, and other book genres. That's the Litbreaker Ad Network, an ad network for the literary, arts, and culture web. Be sure to visit litbreaker.com for more information. It's an ad network for smart, interesting, readerly people. Go and advertise on it. Oh my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Right. Okay, everybody, right. here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is bookish in nature. This is slightly off topic. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. It's good to be with you. Happy New Year. It is 2013. It is 2013. Have you made a resolution? Have you started changing behaviors? Have you made lists? Have you quit smoking? Are you doing Pilates suddenly, etc.? cetera? Uh, personally speaking, on this end of things, uh, I deleted my Facebook account. I did it. It's true. Uh, finally. And I think that's my big thing so far. My one big thing that I've done in 2013 in terms of trying to uh, change my existence. And I should note that I didn't just de uh, deactivate it either. I actually permanently deleted it. I erased it from my life. I'm done. It's over. Uh, the nightmare... <laughs> is finally over. I'm done torturing myself with that particular website. And if I ever do go back, if you ever see me there again, uh, you know, operating on a personal level, I deserve to be publicly ridiculed. I should add as a caveat, and I don't mean to move the goalposts. I really don't. I'm just trying to be uh, practical. I do still have a Facebook page for this show, and I do still have a Facebook page for uh, The Nervous Breakdown, which seems uh, rational 
you know, I can use Facebook to let people know about uh, writerly stuff or podcasty stuff, but I don't have it uh, there for my personal use for status updates and whatever else I do on there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, I'm done. And if you ever see me there, uh, please mock me. I deserve whatever great shame comes my way as a result. Uh, if that happens, then it's uh, official that I'm addicted and hopeless and I need an intervention and there's no excuse uh, for any of that behavior. I've had my time, but that time is now over. Uh, I'm done with it. It is dead. I killed it. I drove a stake through its, uh, what blue, what is the color? It's Facebook blue heart. You know what I'm saying? The color of Facebook, that blue, what is that blue called? Anyway, uh, it's over with. And so far it feels good. Otherwise, uh, what am I going to do in 2013 in an effort to change my existence? One thing uh, I think I'm going to do is I'm going to get rid of a bunch of stuff, which I like to do and which I'm feeling uh, eager to do at this particular juncture. I want to get rid of a bunch of physical objects. I want to give away most of my books. And, uh, you know, I accumulate an incredible amount of books because of this program and because of the Nervous Breakdown, um, which is my website, for those of you who are brand new to the show. Um it's not that I get books because I had a nervous breakdown. I actually have a website called The Nervous Breakdown. So I get all kinds of books and galleys and whatnot sent to me, and I do not like the idea of just amassing this big, huge pile of books and hoarding them in my office and putting them on shelves, uh, which I have mentioned before on this program. I don't understand that. I don't think it's a good idea. I think that books should be circulated. I think that they should move back out into the world where they can find new people. So I'm going to do that. And uh, I'm also going to give away every single piece of clothing that I own, but do not wear on a regular basis, which is a surprisingly large percentage of my clothing. So I'm going to do that, period. And I'm going to be merciless about it. As I go through uh, my closet and all of my drawers and whatnot, I'm going to get rid of almost everything. You know? So there's that. And then uh, last but not least, I've decided finally... Uh, to get rid of cable television. I've had that in my house for the past several years, and uh, I'm done with that too. Like I figure we have a DVD player, we have Netflix, we even have Apple TV. That should be enough, right? I don't need anything else. And, uh, you know, the, the core of it is that I watch too much news programming. I'm one of those people. I watch an incredible amount of cable news which has got to be toxic and bad for my brain. So 2013 is the year of the purge. I want to be lighter. I want to be more agile. I want my brain to be uh, cleaner. I want my head to be less cluttered. I want to get an actual newspaper subscription. I'm going to do that. After I get rid of cable TV, I'm going to get a newspaper subscription. I want to wake up in the morning. I want to walk out to my porch. I want to pick up a newspaper. And I want to caress it and I want to listen to the radio for news I want to stare at the radio while listening to the radio just like they did back in the old days when people actually looked at the radio while listening to the radio I'm going to sit Indian style in front of my radio and look at it while listening to it I want to stare so intently uh, you know, at my radio it's as if the radio might at any moment jump up and start scurrying across the room if you know what I mean Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, 
I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. My guest today is Christine Scott. She's the award-winning author of several books. Her first novel, Florida, was a National Book Award finalist for fiction. And her second novel, All Souls, was a Pulitzer Prize nominee for fiction. Uh, So her latest novel, Prosperous Friends, is now out from Grove Press. It has made several best of lists and has generated all kinds of critical acclaim. And it is a tremendous thrill and an honor to have her here on the program. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is my conversation with the lovely and talented Christine Scott. I'm in my apartment. And my apartment's on the second floor of a, it's a nine-story nine building. Um, on the upper east side of Manhattan, East 90th, and I'm facing north, and I have a lot of sky and uh, trees and the brownstone garden um, in front of me. And right uh, to the on, the on the eastern side, to the east of me, is a, a large playground. It's the Horace Mann School, nursery school, kindergarten. And the um, and then I, to on the west I, I can't go very far. There's suddenly a big well I, I can I can see maybe a block of again of these brownstones. We look onto the back of brownstones, so it's very charming well, it's and a, very quiet. Mm-hmm. It sounds great. It sounds like the yeah. ideal New York apartment. <laughs> well, I've been here for a long, long time, um, and that's I, I was lucky. I mean, I you know, started uh, renting this apartment, and it went co-op, so that's how long I've been here. Uh, Otherwise, I couldn't be here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's changing, but it's still a very sweet neighborhood, um, and it has a lot of charms. So. so what brought you to New York? Um, to Columbia. Uh, I, I went to um, um, the writing program at Columbia University. And um, 
It was it was sort of a, a deal I had with my my first husband. Um, we were living in England, in London, and he was at the London School of Economics, and I was giving him time. And then the deal was he would give me time. We would move to New York because I wanted to go to Columbia. Um, uh, I, I mean. I thought that Robert Lowell was there. He was supposed to be there. He was listed, but he he wasn't, as it turned out. What he was on sabbatical, or he just they just no. He was living in London, England, at the same time I was living in in England. Amazingly enough, I didn't know anything about him except that I liked his poetry, and I, he was listed as on the faculty at, at Columbia, and I thought, yeah, I want to go there. Yeah, I feel like sometimes, you know, if writers achieve a certain level of stature, they can get these really cushy academic roles where they teach, like, one hour a year or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, they've, and they've got, yeah. like, tenure, you know? It's crazy. Yes, yeah, always tenure. They're not there. Uh, they, yeah, they just walk, But he never did. He he never did. He, he, he'd remarried. And, but his wife was across the street at Barnard, um, Elizabeth Hardwick. So I went there, and and so New York was wonderful from the start. You loved it. I did very much. And did you very much. did you flourish in the uh, in the MFA program at Columbia? Not for uh, not particularly. I, I I can't say. I, I mean, um, I had a wonderful class. They were all ahead of me. Um, uh, Richard Price was in my class. And um, uh, Sigrid Nunes, and uh, Mel Bouquet, and, and Kathy Pollitt was in the poetry program. And a lot of people were very, very precocious and really knew what they were doing. And, and I didn't, particularly. Um, were you intimidated? Uh, um, well, uh, yes and no. Um, uh, my, the, the, my teacher was um, uh, Richard Yates, and uh, he he was, he was a wonderful writer, and I thought, and line by line and everything. But he was a very melancholy man, very sad man, very you know, sad teacher. And we could still smoke, and we smoked all the time. And your your eyes would water in the class, <laughs> uh, and and I. I I um, and Richard Price was so good, and 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 was and was doing what he's always done, you know, brilliant uh, dialogue and everything else. And it was very real. And I I remember once I was paired with him the way people are in these workshops, and 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 he just berated me for trying to sound like um, Katie Salinger, which was true. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that that sort of thing. Yeah, it's funny. it's funny how we all like. At some point, I don't think there's a single writer out there who hasn't gone through that mimicry phase where you're trying to kind of emulate your heroes, and it, it never works. You know, you can never copy somebody's voice. No, did you, who did you did you do that? Oh yeah, I mean, like, there's always like the for young men, it's always like the 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 Raymond Carver phase or the you know the <laughs> Hemingway thing, and it just you know it doesn't work. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I find myself, this is the thing, though, I find myself if I'm reading something that I'm really taken by, and it can be a variety of different styles, I'll find myself uh, assimilating that into my own work and, and you know, whatever f- period of time I happen to be in. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's hard for me sometimes when I'm working on my own stuff 
to have a really immersive reading experience because I can find that it starts to infuse itself into my work and confuse the voice a bit. I don't know if you've ever had mm-hmm. that happen. Yeah. Well, sometimes you avoid very strong writers and writers who, who I mean, have a, have a big effect on you. Like, you know, Cormac McCarthy, for example. Yeah. I would, you know, he was, it's funny that you say that. I was just thinking of him. You know, every, yeah. every time I read him, I walk away trying to write like him. You know, like there's just there's such, <laughs> such, a, such a music to it. Yes, it's very strong and it's, it's quite wonderful. It can overwhelm you. Do you do you not read fiction then? When I mean, I mean, well, of course you read fiction, but when you're really deeply immersed in your work or your books, you find you go somewhere else. Yeah. Letters, nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I will read a lot of nonfiction. Sometimes I can do it. It depends on the book, really. You know, like. Mm-hmm. And and if a book is really and if a book and a voice I guess is really far removed from what I'm doing, sometimes it could be nice. Or what I find myself doing a lot of times is there will be a book that I feel like is in some way a model or a benchmark for the book that I'm working on, and I will just repetitively read that book. Um, yeah. I have those kinds of books. They're almost like desk references, and they give me energy. Like it might not even be that I'm looking to do something similar in terms of voice or plot or structure, but it's just a book that I admire greatly and that gives me the juice to sit down and do the work. Yeah. So it's those kinds of things. And then the other thing that I often do, uh, is I read interviews with writers. I love interviews, (laughs) obviously if I'm doing this, um, I like reading, uh, writers, uh, you know, talking about themselves and talking about their work and, that gets me excited about it and uh, doing this show obviously helps. And, um, you know, th- this actually brings me to, uh, a question for you because, uh, you know, in prepping for this, um, I read, you know, some interviews with you that you've done and you talked about, uh, as a young person reading a lot of literary biographies. And I- I'm just interested in hearing you talk about that approach to learning the craft uh, like what it did to teach you about the writing life. How did it prepare you? Did it frighten you? Because, you know, as as intuitive as it may sound, I sometimes feel like uh, aspiring writers don't do enough of this. You know, reading about, not, not only reading the writer's work, but also reading about their life to learn about what it means to actually do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did. Um, I did read a lot of uh, Biographies. I, I mean, I think the first one that I really fell into was Quentin Bell's uh, biography of Virginia Bell. I think it was Quentin who wrote it. You know, it was, it was a, a relative called Virginia Woolf, and 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 um, I I found that quite um, mm, oh. What well, you said? I, I mean, I it it. it it can, it can be it can be frightening sometimes to read those things. Yeah. You ask yourself, "Why do that? Do I do that?" In discovering that she she wrote often standing up, for example, um, that was um, that wasn't scary actually. That that was sort of inspiring <laughs> that you didn't have to stay at your desk; you could actually stand and 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 do your work. And since then, I've, I've read a, about a lot of writers who actually do that um, or have done that. So. That kind of thing. I, I was looking for how to live as, as much as, I mean, I think that's a, it was in your question as to why one would read those kinds of biographies. 
Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's a thing too. I also find myself, um, kind of grasping or, or uh, searching oftentimes for lives of writers who did really good and interesting work and also managed to, uh, make it into their older years without going completely crazy because <laughs> there's, mm-hmm. there, there's, the, the profession is just so rife with, um, the pitfalls and with difficulties with mental illness and substance abuse. And I mean, you know, all the, all, all the things we all hear about and, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to find sometimes writers whose lives can be instructive, uh, over the long haul because there's so much self-destructive behavior and, you know, difficulty. Yes, it's true. There is. Yeah. So, so how do, how do you, uh, how do you approach it? I mean, like, how, I mean, you, have you avoid, you've, you managed to avoid some of these pitfalls? Like, you know, what's, what's your approach? Well, when I was very young, it worried me a lot. What, what you're talking about just the discovery that so many writers, um, went mad and, um, killed themselves. Um, and, Today I had occasion to be uh, using this, uh, an anthology of, of poets, and I uh, was with some students, and um, they were they were distressed because all of the poets that we were looking at, for the most part, it was James Merrill was the only person who hadn't um, lost himself. Um, there was Lowell, it was included in Anne Sexton and Sylvia Plath and John Berryman. Um, and I don't know what Ginsburg died of. Um, cancer, I think. Alan Ginsburg, I think he died. That was a cancer, yeah. Kidney right. cancer or something. Okay. And there was, oh, and, and, and then there was um, Theodore Rescue, but he had a heart attack. So, but anyway, and they all said, I mean, why? Do you have to have a miserable life to be called? That's, I was very frightened of, of, of all of that when I was very young. But a life takes care of that for you. You just go on writing. And and maybe you will discover you're mad. But, I mean, it's not no reason not to. At least that's what I, I was I was telling these young women. Well, and I, I you know I think like do, I think, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree. But I, I've always been of the belief that, or I've, for a long time, I've been of the belief that if you uh, have the the bug to write, there's nothing you can really do about it. Like you know what I'm saying. And if and if you don't, you won't write. But I feel like people who are really wired to do this work don't don't have much of a choice. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I agree with you entirely. So when you when did you realize that you had it? Had no choice. Yeah, just when when did you realize that you were a writer? Mm. Well, I, I realized that, that that this is what I wanted to do when I was. Young. I mean, when I was fifteen, sixteen, I was young. It's to me young. I know that some writers, they're seven. They know they're five. They know, yeah. and they get typewriters then. And then there are people who don't until they're older. But I, I was, you know, fifteen, sixteen years old. I wrote a story, and 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 um, I knew it was good. <laughs> I knew I had done something. It wasn't bad, and and, and my English teacher confirmed it. And that was it, and I and also uh, what you were saying. I mean, uh, there are a lot of writers who can do many, many things, and I wonder why they write. 
But uh, then there are a lot of writers, you, you just can't do anything else. You're not very good at anything else. <laughs> That's what I worry. Yeah, I, wor- I, I worry about. That. I worry about that myself. I'm like, oh my god, I have no other skills. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I know you do. I'm sure some of us. I mean, you just don't. So. Yeah. So I want to talk about uh, a recurring theme in your work, and I'm going to read uh, a quote. I'm going to read. You, I'm going to read you back to yourself, and I'd like to have you respond. Okay. Uh, you once said, "Quote: What I'm very interested in." is people who are possessed of a certain level of comfort, talent, and attractiveness, particularly young people, and they put a match to it. And I just don't get it. I'm interested in exploring why so many people are self-destructive when they have so much. Mm-hmm. So talk about that. Like This is something that you return to in your work. Um, where does this come from? Do you see a lot of this? I mean, I know that you teach... Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm curious to know, like, what is this born of, this curiosity that you have in this particular behavior among people, and particularly people um, of privilege? Well, uh, hmm. uh, I'm just very interested in it, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled by it. Um, and uh, and drawn to it, and and I've I, I've spent a lot, you know years and years and years teaching um, uh, young women, particularly um, who 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 are really very very smart and very privileged, and, and they go on some of them to have. Have and, and fine lives, but some of them don't. It's just, it's very. I find it interesting. Um, so I, I, I guess that's all I, all I can say. I, I mean, I'm, I, I like to think other people certainly enter into the fiction too. But when I was writing this last novel, Prosperous Friend, that was my ambition. To really figure out why did why did why did why did I see this and and then when I I've taught at um in MFA programs and and I I've, I've seen the same thing and, and just there's so much um, needless kind of agony and so. I just wonder about it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I've been. T- I mean, it's a kind of. A, I guess it's just a, a core human issue. But I've been thinking about this lately and wondering about uh, how much control people have. You know, like over their own happiness, or uh, how much can people really change? You know, like mm-hmm. it, it's just. It's, mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes people are just wired to be a certain way, and I feel about myself. It's like. Have I really changed all that much since I was a kid temperamentally? Like, am I, are people capable of making radical transformations in who they are and how they behave in the world? Um, I sometimes wonder. I don't know. You know, I guess there's examples of people making major changes, but I don't know. Like, what do you think of that? Is that possible? Have you ever seen that? <laughs> <laughs> I like to think we can improve, or at least we. Uh, we we recognize our, our own um, 
failings, but we accept them or we we embrace them or or something. I read this book uh, yesterday um, um, called what's it called? The End of Your Life Book Club. Um, uh, it's a memoir about a man named Will Schwabe, and um, uh, it's about his uh, the relationship he had with his wonderful mother, um, and they kept a, a book list. Or they they had their own uh, a book club of two. Uh, he would accompany her when she would have her chemotherapy treatments and so forth, and it was a way they kept in touch and and so forth. They they read books, and it's a wonderful list. Um, starting with Wallace Stegner, um, all over the place, and and that's what holds the book together. But the woman, his mother, uh, Marianne Schwabe, was someone I knew um, and had worked with, and not I didn't know her all that well at all, except to know that she was certainly on the surface of things very wonderful and um, persistently cheerful and kind woman and um, uh, was very involved in, in important um, causes in Afghanistan for orphans and, and building a library in Afghanistan and so forth. Uh, uh, but she was saintly. She was just saintly. And, 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 and even in the, in, in the, in the we never even talk about pain uh, she would. She'd only refer to her her level of discomfort, <laughs> and, you know, and never... she was well. She was very sick. I mean, she had she had pancreatic cancer. This is you know, it was it certainly they don't have a cure for that. And and oh, um, but but she she didn't even ask for a, a painkiller of any sort until again well into a lot of pain. And I, I, I marveled at that. I, I really did. Um, and I, I'd like to think that maybe reading about her, I, maybe should I ever find myself in such a, a horrible, horrible circumstance? But my, I, I, I thought, my God, if I, if I were that sick, I'd just go into a closet. I wouldn't <laughs> want to see anybody. I wouldn't want to travel. I would, I would just want to have it over with quickly. Um, uh, so, and, and 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 that sentiment is certainly something I might have felt as a, as a girl, or you know. But maybe I can get, maybe I, maybe it won't be so awful. Maybe I'll keep on working, or, or uh, you know, volunteer somewhere when I'm when I'm so sick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that book. I doubt it. I doubt it. But <laughs> it, 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 I'd like to think of it. But some people, I, that's the thing. Like some people are wired like that. You were talking, and I was thinking of my grandmother and my mother, like both of whom are just sweet people. My grandmother's no longer with us, but I mean, she was just sweet. Everybody liked her. Never heard her raise her voice. Never heard her say an unkind word. I mean, this is bizarre to me. And I'm also feel I feel like I got short shrift. Like why didn't I get this? <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I just sometimes I think that's just inborn stuff and it's just kind of a blessing and you, you get that and then other people have you know and this is not to say that they that my mother and my grandmother don't have struggles or that this woman with uh, mm-hmm. cancer obviously didn't have her own struggles but I just think some people you know that, that disposition is just sort of what you get you know in the in the DNA yes 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 I agree so, I, I do agree 
<laughs> so uh, I want to I want to tread over some some ground that you've probably uh, you know uh, been through before, but I think it's important. Okay. To, I think it's important to talk about because it's so central to your work, and that okay. has to do with the compression and the lyricism in your sentences. You you know you're you're uh, commonly described as like a writer's writer. You um, you write really pretty sentences, and you also. Um, have developed something of a reputation for working in a really compressed style with these short chapters, short books, but books that still weigh a lot. And I'm interested in hearing you talk about it and, and how it developed for you. Mm -hmm. um, that's uh, it's something, it, it goes along with what we've been talking about, always being there, I think. That's, I'm only... Even when I was when I was at Columbia, when you were asking me how did I feel about my work and so forth, I mean, I'm a, 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 I, I recognized that I didn't know how to tell a story. I, I didn't know how to how to do that um, in any kind of normative or satisfying way, and and that that uh, to sustain something with dialogue was was, was impossible. Um, I knew that, but what I did, uh, what I also knew was, was that I could write an amazing sentence. <laughs> That's so very conceited, but I, I could. I mean, in, in an entire story, there, there would be at least a couple of them there that, that gave me hope. <laughs> um, and that's, that, that hasn't changed. I think what, what happened much later in life was, was, that I I figured out how to how to how to string one after another not not that they're all amazing but just you know write slowly because and um, and not beat myself up for not knowing where I was where I'm you know where the next sentence is going necessarily um, uh, and 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 somehow make make a story. So it's um, the compression. I think is just, it's just um, some some of it's temperamental. It's just once you, once you get into a place, you, I just can't think of what could happen. It would be interesting, um, and I'd I'd like to get out of it. I mean, in other words, you you find yourself with two characters and a in a room, um, and yeah, you, there are all the limitations of the room, and what are they doing in the room, and, and no sooner are you in the room, there at least I'm in the room, and then I, I, I want to get out of there. That, that, I think, would explain the compression. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get away. Yeah, I, I get that, because like, I have a similar impulse, and I read uh, another interview with you online uh, in preparation and you explained it like this. I'm going to quote you again because I love this so much because it crystallized uh, why I'm the same way. And you said, quote, I have a short attention span and a fear of being tedious. That's it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. That to me yeah. is that that explains it because I, you know, I think I'm similar. And I also think uh, I, I don't want to waste any motion in writing. And I, I so appreciate it when somebody can write like you do where – 
Um, there's no wasted motion, but you also don't feel like you're getting uh, gypped. You know, you feel like the thing weighs a lot, and that there's, you know, that it's all there. Uh, and sometimes I can, I feel like, you know, it can be easy, especially in the novel form, for a writer to get carried away. Um, even if a writer can make really beautiful sentences, you know, and it, it can it can start to feel uh, unwieldy or it can feel unnecessary, you know, and I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just a, a function of taste, but I so appreciate compression when it's done really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I, I, I like that. So, uh, yeah. and, and so can you talk about too, I think like, uh, you know, you, you worked with Gordon Lish early in your career mm-hmm. and, you know, he's obviously, um, got a reputation for being, uh, influential when it comes to compression. Uh, he worked with mm-hmm. Raymond, he worked with Raymond Carver and, um, mm-hmm. you know, was instrumental in helping to develop his style. Can you talk about your relationship with him and what he meant to you, uh, as a writer? Well, uh, he, he, uh, he, he taught me how I could, could, could use the sound. I mean, he just, it was amazing. It was amazing. I, I, it was, um, it was a great match for me, um, Gordon, because everything he believes in, um, I, I certainly believed in and believed in. I never had any trouble in his classes. Um, um, because I, I, I was, wor- I had, had been, as I said, working sort of at a sentence level, and I, and just before I met him, just before I met him, I finally, I, 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 I wrote the first thing since graduate school that, that, you know, was, was any good. Um, and so that's, we're talking maybe in 10 years. And, um, Then I met Gordon, and um, how did you meet him? Well, that's that's sort of a funny story. Um, I had um, another friend, a writer, who uh, she'd sent to uh, Gordon a story. I'd heard about him. I didn't. People, I didn't know anyone who knew anything really about the classes, and um, but I did know that when you you find a writer you liked, invariably there was Gordon Lish was somehow behind it. Um, I didn't even know about the quarterly, um, really. I, I, I think I it had been introduced to me a couple of months before I met him, but I, I didn't read, read it religiously. But this friend of mine had sent him something, and he said he wanted to meet her, and yes, he wanted her in his class. And so she met him and found him absolutely terrifying. Because when she told me about this, I, I was very excited for her. I said, oh, my gosh, I, I think I think he's really... Must be wonderful, and I, all the writers he likes, and he's behind some wonderful writers. Anyway, she met him, and in, in the in the middle of the day, for coffee, and found him terrifying. And what he really wanted was was, to, he, and he wanted to see her apartment, and he wanted, he offered her, you know, the the classes for free, uh, if she, um, uh, if she would would let him use the apartment for his classes. Well, she had a very tiny apartment and was a very private person and was entirely undone by all of, by by him and and by his request. And uh, she called me to say as much because I had told her, "Call, call me, call me, call me, and tell me you know what's going on and so forth." And so I said, "Well, gosh, 
send him here. <laughs> send him to my apartment. And he and he came right over and 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 was I I'd never even seen a picture of him. I really didn't know I, I was I was pretty out of things really. Um uh and you know, he had this his khaki colors on and this big coat and a hat and so forth and sat down and looked around at, at, at my very, very tiny apartment and said, um, asked me just a few questions and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you, you let me have your apartment two nights a week and, and, and you, you, you can attend for free. So I thought that was a great deal. I thought, what a wonderful thing to have people in your house from six in the evening until whenever Gordon would decide it was over. Sometimes it was supposed to be over at midnight, but often he would stay until one or later. And um, he usually, and he did most of the talking. Uh, but people got to read. Um, and he'd start anywhere in the room and um, a person would start to read. And um, and you, sometimes that person got to, to read on, and, and but most often not. Um, and then he would explain it and talk about the sentence and what happened next and this and this and this and this. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, we got along immediately. Wow. And so that, that was great. That was just absolutely great. I, I can't tell you. It was, it, was, uh, it was wonderful. And I loved when he was talking about writers and writing and form and so forth. I, nobody had ever made so much sense to me. Well, okay, Before. that brings up a question. It's like it sounds like this sounds like the most unbelievable thing ever. You basically had uh, a master editor in your. I mean, you did have a master editor in your Thank apartment you. conducting a, essentially an MFA program yes. in your apartment for however. What did this go on for a year, two years? What was it went it? on for about I think seventeen months or something. I don't know. All total, maybe. And then my 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 building complained. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have it anymore here, so it, you know we we found another place, and and then I would go there, but not you know obviously in the. But it was thrilling because yes, he brought in wonderful writers too. I mean, Amy Hempel was here on occasion, and you know it was a thrill. God, what a, so when you look when you when you look back on that, do you consider that experience more pivotal in your education as a writer than your MFA at Columbia? Yeah, well, yes, as a writer, definitely. I mean, the the uh, uh, the Columbia experience was was oh, I don't know, emotionally, socially, all of that. I mean, it was you know, it, it was that kind of an experience as much more than writer's experience. I mean, I I I, I entered the program and. I left maybe with one, well, uh, one published story, and that was it. And, yeah. and that was it. Okay, so let's talk about this because you got you got your MFA at Columbia, which is a great place yeah. to get your MFA. You're in New York City, yeah. and then I heard yeah. you briefly allude earlier to like a ten year period where yeah. nothing much happened, and that's an interesting period in retrospect because I think a lot of writers and probably a lot of listeners. Uh, you know, people who listen to this podcast might be able to relate. Like, how did you navigate those waters, and how do you see that period of time uh, now that you're, you know, well past it and looking back? 
I'm glad I'm well past it in some ways. I mean, the best part was, you know, having my children. I mean, I did want life um, and some real messiness, and and I did want that. I I got that. But, um, you know, my marriage didn't last, and, um, you know, you involve yourself sometimes with terrible people and men, in my case, and so it was a lot of living, I would say, um, uh, those 10 years, and still writing. I mean, I, 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 I forget this, but somebody reminded me of this is when I, when I was still married, and my children were very little, and someone said, just to be, you, you always, you, you were writing in your closet. We, we had an apartment with a with a kind of walk-in closet, and it was the only place I could sit a desk. And that was true. I did. I had the desk. So I never stopped doing it. But I just didn't. I just couldn't put anything together that would that held together. It, it, I just couldn't. It was awful. You know, writing in writing in little bits and pieces and scraps and short things and just just dreadful. But I was doing it. I you know. But it was ten. It was ten years of just, I, you know, reading and worrying and fretting. I just. just <laughs> but maybe yeah. it's now. It's now. I'm now. I'm starting to think to myself like maybe this is also a component of how your style developed. You know, when it comes to compression and working in these short chapters, was this ten year period where you were writing in little tiny pockets of time in little short bursts. You know, trying to. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. maybe that's part of it. It must be part of it. It's true. I I think you're right. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you are right. And and you know, do you look back on that time period, even though you weren't able to kind of produce uh, anything cohesive? Uh, you know, do you look back on it and say to yourself, "Well, that was a critical. You know, that was a critical to my development, and it gave me uh, stuff to write about." You know what I'm saying? Like, is it was it? Yeah. It was instrumental. You had to go through it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it gave me a lot of material. <laughs> you, don't, you don't you don't look back on it like bitterly, like oh, those are the lost ten years that I could have been writing my masterpiece. <laughs> well, I don't think I, I, no, I wasn't able to do that. I, I don't. I I wish. I was. I know I don't look. I, sometimes I think I could have made better use of the time, and I wonder why I didn't enjoy my children more. Um, I, I regret those sorts of things. You know that I was. I, I could have had more fun, um, which may be why I'm interested in, in, in these sort of self-destructive people, because yeah. I, I, I feel, you know, that I certainly have been in my life. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that, because I'm 37 now, which is still relatively huh? young. Young, young, young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, now, but now listen to me. Like, I, I, I've been hanging out, or last week I was hanging out with some young, you know, younger writers who are in their early to mid-20s. And there's, uh, yeah. there's just an ache. I just felt an ache. Like, oh, you guys, you're there. You're so young. You know, have fun. And, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard not to feel nostalgic. And I get what you're saying. When you see people uh, frittering it away or not fully enjoying it, it's uh, it's painful. Yeah. Those times are so fleeting. They go so fast. They are. They are. They are. It's true. It seems like a dream, you know, and it's like, I feel like the older I get, the you know, the further, the farther away you get from those times, like it, it just, you can't even believe it happened almost, you know? Yes. 
Did you grow up in California? No, I grew up in the Midwest. So I wound up out here for graduate school. So I was raised uh -huh. in Wisconsin and Indiana. And uh, I actually did spend a couple years in San Francisco when I was really, really young. But, you know, it was just a couple years when I was a toddler. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, you know. 37, though. You are. You're young. Could keep talking. I love hearing that. Please tell me that. <laughs> Um, so let's talk. I want to also like something else you said earlier, um, stuck in my brain and I want to talk to you about it. And it, it, it's an outgrowth of this acknowledgement that you made about your abilities and how you knew as a young person that you could write a great sentence, but you didn't know how to write a story. And right. so I'm assuming all, you know, in this 10 year period where you were uh, having children and getting married and doing all this stuff and, and living your life. Um, I'm assuming that you were also, you know, fumbling your way towards understanding how to write a story. And so the question in my mind is, how do you do it? How did you learn? Is it simply a process of trial and error and intuition? Or did you actually strike upon some sort of process or formula that worked for you? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, um, Early on, and 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 this persists. I mean, Harold Brodsky, um, his stories I found very, and I I first encountered them when they came out in in the early seventies, seventy in the New Yorker, um, um, story in an almost classical mode um, came out I think nineteen seventy three seventy four or something like that, and. Um, that story and, and, and a novel by Renata Adler called Speedboats, mm. um, which really uses a very broken narrative and a neurotic first-person narrator. Those sorts. Of, those um, I love those. Uh, his I love Bradkey and loved his work and loved the obsessiveness of it. Um, and um, uh, and with Renata Adler, a Speedboat, um, I just. Um, uh, she well, she gave a person license to to write in these sort of like mini scenes. Uh, the novel sort of consists of that. It's it's uh, there's a there's a chapter called Brownstone, which is um, really quite. It's, I haven't read this now, mind you, in a while, but I'm sure it would hold up. I read it. I read it a couple of years ago. It's great, you know. It is great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's and it's so it, it's like it's one of those books that teaches you how to read it as you go, you know, it's so odd and unique and the, the you know, the structure and the, and the voice is so individual. That's what I found about it. And that's what I find about a lot of books that stick with me. But, um, yeah. I feel like speedboats got some sort of second wind in it ha happening right now. You know, it's sort of, come back in vogue. yeah, I've been, I mean, oh, I've been just because I look on the, you know, I'm constantly reading on the internet in the literary world. I keep seeing it pop up, you know, and you sort of get uh -huh. this, this kind of broad understanding of the, the, the chatter out there, but I feel like that book is going to last because Yay. yeah, <laughs> people, people who, people who like it really like it, you know? Yes. 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 It, well, it, that was, uh, anyway, that happened when I was living in London. So that kind of style and that trying to put uh, a work together was what I, you know, was I sort of trying to do from the start. Uh, I mean, occasionally trying to have a, a sustained kind of scene and, and um, um, polish, maybe, of, 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 you know, as a student, 
of, of Salinger or something, but, but, but later, you know, really dispensing with that. Um, so, you know, when I was just writing these little fragments and pieces and so forth, um, I was trying to figure out how to, how to get them to hang together or how to, how to build a story out of that. And I think that's where, where Gordon was very helpful. And he came into the picture. Um, I mean, because the advice was so simple. Uh, what was it? Uh, <laughs> it was just, yeah, <laughs> just keep on, uh, um, uh, darker and deeper. <laughs> just keep going to a scarier place every time. And then... And, and that 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 made you know that made sense, and you and you and you got to where you were supposed to be going. And so, when you work when you work on a piece of fiction, whether it's short or long form, uh, like how many revisions you? I mean, are you somebody? It's, it strikes me with the level of compression that you achieve and the lyricism that you're somebody who really goes over it and over it and over it and polishes and tightens. Or is it something that just sort of shoots out of you? You know, like. Uh. Occasionally you get a little burst, but it's very little. I mean, it's not, maybe it's a page, a page and a half where you really, boy, that was a miracle. Yeah. But, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's slow, but I think I found great comfort in his, his, his advice because it, it meant that, you know, you, you really don't have to, you don't have to know, you shouldn't know where you're going and, um, but the, but if you want to know direction, is is you just keep on going to a a, a, a deeper and darker place. And I mean that doesn't mean necessarily. After a while, you can figure out how to do this to go to a lighter and brighter place and, <laughs> right. and how to get other. You know, it's not always so grim. But it. Uh, um. And and uh, anyway, his that notion of composition was just. That's that's very helpful to me. Yeah, and I sometimes like, and I think like some of it too is like you know, obviously it's just practice. You write, you write, you write, you write. You fail. You keep writing. You learn from your mistakes. You read. You do all the normal stuff. Uh, yeah. But it's, sometimes I think too that it's just a function of age. You know, like you have to get to a certain point in your life, and it's different for different people. Like, do you think that that's True, like maybe like emotionally or in terms of the life circumstances that you're dealing with, like how much of a factor? Oh yeah, you, I think that's a factor too. You know, it just you've got to have the space to write, and you've got to have the emotional space working for you, and circumstances have to sort of conspire to help out. It's not all just the rigors of reading and writing. No, you're right. Absolutely, you're right. It, it yeah, the right. All those other things come together. So, so uh, how have you managed to make it work in your life? You know, I know that you teach. so And teaching mm -hmm. t tends to be a profession that writers gravitate toward because it does allow, I don't know, some sort of symbiosis. And uh, the schedule can tend to be more friendly than, say, you know, investment banking or something. You know, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, or being a doctor or a lawyer or anything. Yeah. It, it can be gentler. That's true. Um uh, well, I, in my my second uh, every second semester I have a, a much lighter load. I, I only teach um, uh, at the university level, and I teach one class. And I teach at different places. Last year it was at Columbia, and 
this year will be at Syracuse. And um, I think three years ago now is at um, Irvine, and that's it's, uh, and that's very nice for me. It gives me time to write. Um, uh, but before that, when I was teaching full time at uh, the high school, um, I, I wrote at night. Um, so that's um, that's my my earlier books were were at night. So one of which was called Nightworks. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's I very see, dark. I see how this works. Very very dark book. Yes, right. That's true. Now, were you are you an everyday writer? Is that like is that your ritual? I you know I I up until this book and um, September. Um, I have been for the most part every day, but I, 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 um, I, I've not, I've, I've written things, but not, uh, and I've written every day, but not, not, I've not worked on, on something that I, I really want to get back to. I, I mean, I, I know, well, sort of what we were saying earlier, I guess I sort of, in my heart, I knew I, I have to be away from this thing right now because it just, I, when, I really didn't know and don't didn't know where it was going, and I wasn't so sure I had had the energy or the heart to do it. I'm sure you've had that experience when you finish something, and you know how hard it was to finish it, how um, how much you had to go through to get the story or the chapter out, and and that, that once you do it, and then you think, my God, am I going to do this all over again? You know, um, it's hard, and I like I, I want to ask you. This is like a you know. A, indulgent of me perhaps but like i i met a similar juncture uh with my own book that you were at uh, i guess months ago with prosperous friends but i was reading up and you were talking about the uh the process of writing the book and then getting it to publication and mm. there was a point at which uh unless i'm mistaken you know there was a point at which you were very very confident like unusually confident in the book and were thinking yeah. to yourself this is the best thing i've ever done and then you handed it to your agent and there was like some confusion or like the response was not exactly what you had anticipated. So can you talk about that? Because I just went through that with my own novel where I finished it. And it, I find myself so schizophrenic with a novel where some days I'm like, this is great. I'm doing it. And I feel so good. And then the next day it can be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> you know, like, it's just such an up and down process. And I want to hear you talk about it. And I want to hear you... I want you to tell me how to navigate it. <laughs> mm, yes, yeah. Well, this this time it was it was especially difficult. I mean, I'd had this experience before um, when I wrote my first novel, Florida. Um, I bring it up only by way of comparison because at that time my, my agent gave up on the book and, and just said she didn't know small presses and write, essentially write something else. Um, so, uh, and that book went on to be nominated for the National Book Award, just so people, people listening should know that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, uh, so I, I was stuck with this book and I, 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 I was just, I was lucky, and 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 they had a new acquisitions editor at, at Northwestern who had seen something of mine, and I don't know. She just got in touch and said, "Do you happen to have anything?" And um, 
so that was that was that was lucky. But my experience with Florida at the time, you know, was that every time my agent was sending it out to all of these houses, it must have gone to twenty five, I don't know, houses it seemed everybody had seen it, I thought. Um although as it turn as it turns out, Grove had never seen it. Um uh, but um any of that, every time it came back, I would look at it and and I would say, God, I I don't I don't know. I like this. I like this book. <laughs> I don't. I I would be upset that they didn't seem to understand or didn't think it was a novel or what was this and so forth. Um, but I I liked it. I never never didn't like it. Um, I I thought maybe I would never see it published. And I was trying to, and I was. I was going on with other stories at the time when I. I wasn't sending it out, obviously, when the Northwestern people called. But um, I always liked that. But, but when I was writing Prosperous Friends, it's true. I, I, I was very happy with this. Uh, I mean, it, um, I, I wish I, I could have... Um, well, there, there are always things you wish you could have done with, with a, a book. But, um, yeah, I thought it was terrific. And then when I sent it to my agent, my agent just didn't like it at all. At all. And I was, I didn't know. Um, I mean, she she hadn't she hadn't like Florida either. So, but I asked her to identify what she didn't like, and I tried to fix it. And then I gave it to someone else, who also had um, didn't have a difficult time with it after the first chapter, but had a terrifically hard time with the first chapter, and just thought the introduction of the characters was wasn't was too abrupt. And why should we care? All you know, questions of that sort, and where are we, and who is this, and so forth. And some of those questions were good. I mean, they helped me, and I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to solve that problem with titles. Um, but I, I was at UC Irvine at the time, and and I had all this time, and it, it was it was really a blow because I I got this, you know, I would sent the book out, and just before I went to UC, and I thought I could work on something new, and then. I, I was rewriting this book, and I, I rewrote the whole front of it and came back uh, and looked at it, and I just thought, but this is awful. I, I, it's awful. <laughs> Threw that out. <laughs> oh, my God. And then I went back to the to the original stuff, and um, uh, I, have, I have one reader, um, a wonderful writer, Diane Williams, and... She's my, my, the, the, she reads all my work um, for me, and um, and she's just a genius editor and helpful, and and you know she she was she was behind me in in junking this new thing that I spent my whole semester writing. Um, but I lost faith in the book after that. I never got. I never. I just didn't. I, I, I wasn't sure of it at all. Um, uh, and um, I really wasn't sure. So, uh, <laughs> and then it went out, and I've been sort of waiting for people to say what I thought. They were going to say it's the, the reviews have been very nice, and um, but I, I, you know, God, it's very hard. 
So, yeah. okay. So, so you, you received this feedback, you tried to fix it and do what people were telling you to do, but you didn't ultimately like those changes. I didn't use it. No. Yeah. So I, you stuck with the original, yeah, you stuck with the original yeah. vision. I was stuck with the original and, and, and you know, and I, and I made titles that would be helpful. So, you know, you knew what year it was and you knew where you were and that sort of thing. And I tried to somehow insert, you know, some as quietly as possible age. Some things that I'm writing, I just don't, I'm, not, I'm really, I, it's not that I mean to be a bad host um, or hostess, um, I, I just don't think about, you know, how old is this? I, I know how old the character is, and I, I, I'm, but I don't necessarily put these things in. Well, I, I think, but I think that the, the, the more imaginative reader can fill in those blanks. You, you know? can, you can, you will, you do. Uh, even if I told you the character had brown hair, you'd get the character your own. Somebody else's color, I think. You don't always pay attention to those sorts of things. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that's how, that's how I am too. I, you know, like the, like I said, the le- the less wasted motion, the better. We don't need to know like every single pore in somebody's face. You know what I'm saying? Like, leave a little bit to the reader. I think is the way, or leave a lot to the reader. Frankly, yeah, know. right. The reader will always do much more work than you will, and better. Well, and that's the thing too. That's like I think that's you know when there's a, when you when you're overly descriptive or you provide. You know, piles and piles and piles of sensory information. You're depriving the reader of part of the joy of reading, which is that imaginative act, right? Yes, that's my feeling. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad yeah. we've I'm glad we've decided that. <laughs> uh, well, but so where are you with your novel? Well, okay, so this is where I am. I finished this thing uh, at the end of November, so just recently, and wow. I had a few people read it. And I, I think I'm a, I, I don't know, I guess I'm an insecure writer, but I just like, I feel like I'm looking for some sort of emotional response from people that will let me know that it's really strong, you know? And I have this fear of publishing mediocre stuff. I don't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to only publish my very best stuff. And so I haven't, you know, I, I sent it to my agent and she's kind of like, it's too dark, you know? And I could just tell she just found it depressing. <laughs> And it's supposed to be so. It's supposed to be sort of. It's supposed to be sort of funny, you know. And so now I'm wrestling. I'm like, you know, because it's it's it, the thing about it. And you you alluded to this earlier is that it's so hard to finish, and it's such work, and it's emotional, and it's I don't you know I don't want to try to, um, you know what's it, it can I don't want to sound too melodramatic about it. But people who have tried to do this and who have done this, I'm sure can understand. So when you get to that finish line and you, and you get a, a manuscript out of you. And then you hand it off to people, and the response is not strong, positive. It's very difficult. <laughs> and yeah. and then, then you have to try to summon the energy in the aftermath of all that to go in and assess this thing. And it's, it's, not only is it hard because you know it's, it saps your energy to not have that strong response that you wanted, but it's also um, it's very difficult after spending so many months and months and months looking at this text – to be able to go in and unpack it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it also feels to me like a, a house of cards. It's like, oh God, I'm going to pull this out. And then, you know, it just, it's delicate. And I guess maybe I need to maybe pause and take some time before I go in and reassess so I can be a little bit fresher. But that's the juncture that I'm at now. And 
you know, then there's also the issue of subjectivity and maybe they don't know better. You know, I've spent two years with this thing. They spent, you know, five hours. So, um, maybe it's a situation where I stick to my guns. You know, it's, it's, it's a difficult decision-making process because you don't want to turn away from good advice, but you also don't want to mangle your book out of some sort of creative insecurity, you know? So, right. so what should I do? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're doing the right thing by not, I mean, when you were talking about letting it sit for a bit. And then, I mean, that's what I would do with Florida. And what I'm saying, when I went back to that, I felt happier when I, I didn't, with prosperous friends, of course, as I said, I mucked it up and then, and then fixed it. And, and then, and then just told my told my agent essentially that I thought this was done and 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 I wanted her to 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 send it uh, particularly to Elizabeth Schmidt at, at Grove because um, you know she really liked Florida and had never seen it and I think she would have published it um, not that I regret Northwestern at all it was wonderful but in any event I had a feeling she liked I mean she liked that work she would like this work and I wanted her to see it so and she did and she liked it so that was great um, and and but, but I never I didn't believe her I quite you know I thought oh I don't know. maybe she sort of likes it <laughs> I, never, I never I never I never got my faith back ever and yeah. and never so. Well, so be, okay, so the, I mean, uh, I, I got to let you go somewhat soon because I know we've been on for a while, but I, I want to ask you because this brings up a question of confidence. And I have a couple of writer friends in my head who come to mind who have such confidence in their work and such mm-hmm. confidence in their ability and uh, such confidence as people in general in their own opinions and like, you know, the, it, confidence in their mind. And I think I'm wired to be like, uh, I don't know. You know, like, never, I'm never sure. I, I mean, I can second guess myself. I can pull that thread so easily. And what I've come to is, I think I'm I'm very confident in my unconfidence. Does that make any sense? Oh, I, yes, it does. It's like skepticism. It's like the piety of skepticism or something. And I, I look at these people who are confident. I'm like, that must be so nice. But I can't do that in good faith. Like. You know, like how do you, and, and then at the same time, you have to have a certain degree of confidence in yourself and a certain degree of egotism or whatever it is just to sit down and, and the act of trying to write a book sort of expresses that in and of itself. So it's not to say that I'm some sort of, uh, you know, humble person, you know, with just the embodiment of humility or whatever, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you reconcile all of that stuff? Cause it sounds like we're sort of similar. Yes. Yes. No, it does. It sounds as if we're very similar. I'm, I'm with you. I have no confidence in, 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 in anything. I mean, I have no authority. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm an, I'm an English teacher and, uh, I should have more confidence and, you know, I'm more authority when I'm, I'm supposed to be teaching grammar, for example, and I have none. I mean, people can start to talk me out of commas and I know it's a, I don't think they should be there. Yeah, but anyway, so you should have more authority. A person should. I don't know. And, and but, but we do, we, you and I both, because we're writing uh, at some level. We, we, we have a kind of confidence or, uh, I mean, a, 
Oh, I mean, it might. I mean, I think that some people, it's, to be a writer is, is, is really kind of almost presumptuous. You know, I mean, right. yeah. to, to assume that you have something. I mean, I think that's how a lot of people do look at people and say, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a writer. <laughs> Who gave you the right to be that? <laughs> right. um, it's not, I mean, if you, if you played the violin, they, they wouldn't feel that way about it. But, but because a writer is a different thing. Because most people are like, I can hold a pen and I, I have stories. I have better stories than you do. That sort of thing. So the fact that you and I just decided what we're, we're doing is, uh, at some level, we, we feel, we must feel, well, one, we feel we can't do anything else. Two, we're not good. From we, we just can't do anything else. But 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 we we can we can do this thing. Um, and uh, we have all right to do it. I guess that's well, that's no- where we're. Confident. There's one. It's <laughs> a really weak answer. It's a very weak answer. Oh dear. Uh, well, you know, I think there's at the end of the day, there's worse ways to spend your time than trying to write it down. And you know, I, for me, I guess it's like, what do I always tell myself? It's about the diagnosis and not the cure. I don't think I'm going to cure anything, but maybe I can try to diagnose. You know. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well. Uh, uh, Christine, I've I've enjoyed talking with you. I hope this was uh, I hope this was enjoyable for you. It's been great. It pleasure. was. It was. It was. It was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank uh, you. Of course, and and best of luck with uh, with your new book. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, that's it for now. That's the program. That is Christine Scott. Go get her new novel. It is called Prosperous Friends. It is available from Grove Press. You can find Christine online at christinescott.com. She's also on the Facebook. Thank you to Kill Rockstars for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And, uh, hey, be sure to get the official Other People app. It is out there. It is free. It is available for your iPhone, your iPod Touch, your iPad, or your Android device. It is the best way to listen to this program. Uh, okay, it's New Year's Day, it's here, I feel relieved uh, that the holidays are over. <clears throat> I don't know about you, uh, my wife and I went to about four parties over the past 48 hours, so I'm kind of exhausted, I'm burnt out uh, from all the socializing, uh, I had family in town for Christmas, I'm ready to get back to my life, I'm ready to get back into some sort of routine, I feel like I have a big year ahead of me, a pivotal year, there's a lot to figure out, hopefully it can be figured out. Can it be figured out? That is the question. Please remember uh, that the first English translation of Madame Bovary was done by a daughter of Karl Marx and that George Orwell once referred to the work of John Steinbeck as, quote, spurious. That is all for today. Thank you for listening. I'll be back uh, in just a couple of days with another program. I think you know the drill. Uh, For now, I'm going to go get rid of some things. I'm going to go purge, and perhaps I'll even burn some stuff. Should I burn some stuff? I'm going to give it all away. That's the point. What do you think of that? Uh, What if everyone, and just imagine this, indulge me for a moment. What if everyone in 2013 committed themselves to giving away as much as possible? Stuff, money, energy, time. This is idealistic. But what if we did? What if we all just gave it all away? What would happen? What would the world look like at that point? Would it be better? I think it would be. And uh, at any rate, it would be an interesting experiment. So let's do it. Let's, uh, let's give it away. When in doubt, whatever you have, just give it away. Just hand it over. Let it go. Uh, build a tiny boat, perhaps. 
and then put your stuff in that boat, set the boat uh, in the water, in some sort of body of water, and watch your stuff float away. And then while you stand there watching your stuff float away, take out a bow and arrow, uh, dip the tip of the arrow in gasoline, light the arrow on fire, and then shoot the arrow at the boat, hit the boat, and then watch your stuff go up in flames as it makes its way out toward the center of the ocean. (laughs) 